Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Good to see you this morning. We've got uh, such a privilege, don't we, in following Christ? Isn't it amazing that we have the opportunity to share the gospel? I don't know if you've ever <laughs> really been impacted by that, uh, if you've really thought through that, but the reality of it is all of us as believers have the opportunity to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord leads, as he guides, as he empowers. And in the midst of our lives, we have the privilege of proclaiming him. And God chooses to use us. That's the miracle of it, isn't it? He changes our lives and, and we, he comes to live within us. He begins to renew our minds as we get into the word of God. He begins to cleanse us from the inside out. And as a result, our activities begin to reflect that. And we begin to walk in the righteous works that God has prepared for us before the foundation of the earth. As we get more and more in tune with the Lord and we surrender to him, yield to him, as we're obedient to him, Christ in us, our life begins to be revealed through us. Let me ask you something. What's, what's your vision? Everybody always asks me that, so I'm going to ask you that. <laughs> what's your vision? How big is God in your mind? I was uh, with Jonathan. We were up in Chama. We were looking at the stars. And he said, and God has named every one of them. And I thought, praise God. He's getting a vision that's bigger than you can even imagine. Because that, folks, will define how big our vision is. If God isn't big to us, if God isn't incomprehensible in so many ways, if he's not vast, if he's not superior, if he's not beyond the ability for us to put him in our nice, neat little box, then we're not going to go very far, are we? The question is, what's our vision? And do we understand that we serve a God that's amazing, beyond description, incomprehensible, and yet he's made himself known through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share a story with you. This is one of my favorite stories, and I think it's so sovereign of the Lord that it came on the weekend that we're celebrating and honoring the military families in our church and in our community uh, it's about a centurion. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? A centurion. You know, you look at the uh, New Testament, you walk through the New Testament, and many of the centurions that are listed, and I went back and looked just to double check, because I know some of you all like to check me. It's all right, you can check me, but I went back and looked, so you go back and look too. Almost every one of them are spoken highly of. Fascinating. Military men of Rome, they were in charge of about 100 different soldiers. They were usually part of a cohort, which could have been from 600 to 1,000 men. So they were one of the top leaders within that cohort. And throughout the New Testament, we see that these centurions were highly spoken of. It's interesting how that works. They were men under authority. They were men who understood what it meant to obey unquestionably and to lay their lives down. It's amazing. I think that's a challenge to us. In the midst of this story about Cornelius, what we have here is remarkable. Folks, I don't know if it's hit you recently. I hope that it does this morning afresh. But this story is the beginning 
of God intentionally bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Those who were at one time far off, but now brought near. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and following, he says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. We talk about the Lord, we talk about him intentionally bringing the gospel message, the message of hope to the Gentiles. This story is the beginning of it. We're all impacted by that. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What a beautiful picture. The Lord has come to seek and to save That which was lost. A couple of thoughts here. First of all, Peter has been given the keys, so to speak. And we can see how the Lord uses Peter as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and bringing the gospel to the Jewish people. We saw that at Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. We saw how Philip went up into Samaria And revival takes place, an awakening takes place. Many people are coming to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they call for Peter and John. Peter and John, the apostles, come up to Samaria and the Holy Spirit, through the laying on of their hands, is brought to the Samaritans. Now we have a story, again, of how God is using Peter in order to verify and substantiate the salvation of the Gentiles, Cornelius and his household, his family. And again, the Lord uses him and they begin to pray and the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles who are there to listen to the gospel and respond from their hearts and are saved. It's a beautiful picture of this. I think it's essential to understand that the Lord's the one who initiated this. It wasn't Peter who initiated it. It wasn't a council in Jerusalem who initiated this. It wasn't a group of people that said, okay, great, we've we've reached the the Jewish people in Jerusalem as much as we can. There's persecution that's taking place, so we've been dispersed throughout. And now we're in Samaria, and that's going well. And we're in Galilee, too, and that's going good. We've got fellowships that are beginning all over the place. The church is expanding and growing. We're good. How can we do more? And so they put their committee together and say, well, we got a great idea. We're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. (laughs) No. In fact, Peter here is perplexed. He's confused. Are you serious? What did this vision have anything to do with what I'm supposed to be about? God's the one that has brought it to us. I think that's essential. In the midst of this, as we walk through this, I want you to be thinking about this, but that the Lord knows the heart of every person and chooses to use believers, us, to proclaim his gospel. Think about that. That's amazing, isn't it? The Lord knows the heart of every individual, and he chooses to use us 
to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. The message of hope, the message of God's salvation plan. Three things this morning as we look at this. First of all, there's a devout petition of Cornelius, verses 1 through 8. We're going to look at that. There's secondly, the divine preparation of Peter. Peter had to be prepared, and we've seen that already in the last few chapters as God is working on Peter's heart and he's expanding him. He's out of Jerusalem now. He's in Joppa and all the different things that are going on there, the healings that have taken place, verses 9 through 16. And lastly, the directed provision of God. I I think this is so beautiful, and if we can catch this, we can walk in this, that God is way ahead of us. He knows exactly how he wants to orchestrate things. The question is not how we can plan it, how we can organize it, and how we can get it done. The question is, are we joining God in what he's already doing? That's the question. And what a joy it is to know that he's prepared everything. We just need to say yes to him and walk with him and be willing vessels through which he pours his life. Look at Acts chapter 10. And we're going to cover verses 1 through 23. Yes, 23 verses. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Cornelius was a a centurion. He was a Roman officer. He was in charge of a hundred soldiers. He was in the Italian regiment, which historically consisted of about 600 soldiers. They were in Caesarea. There was a large Gentile population there. He was probably in charge partially of taking care of some of the politicians that came from Rome to Caesarea and then were overseeing that particular region. We learned several things about him. It says he was a devout man. That means he was reverent. He was pious. We might put it in this way. He was spiritual. He was spiritually minded. It says one who feared God with all his household. He had a respect for God. He recognized that there is a God. And he had a respect for God. He had a healthy fear and awe and a reverence of God. Yeah, well, he acted on it. He says he gave many alms to the Jewish people. The idea there is that he would constantly be giving money to those who were in need, and it specifies to the Jewish people. So he went out of his way in order to take care. He, a Gentile, he, a centurion, he, an individual who had authority and had power over the Jewish people, would go out of his way because of his reverence and his fear for God in order to give money to those who were in need. The giving of alms is a specific word. It has the idea of showing mercy with regard to finances. They saw somebody that was poor and he would come alongside of them and he would give them money to help them. And it was very specific of the Jewish people. And then he says, and he prayed to God continually. He prayed to God continually. 
What's interesting to me about this particular word, there's multiple words for prayer. This is not the overarching banner word for prayer in the New Testament. Actually, the angel that comes to him and says to him, your prayers have ascended to God as a memorial. The angel uses the overarching word for prayer. Here, the word that's used is he specifically made his needs known to God. There's specificity in it. He had a need. He was deficient. He didn't have everything. And he would take that need to God. Let me encourage you something. What in this context is the need that we're talking about? I believe that the need is the need of salvation. I believe that what he was specifically going to the Lord and specifically going to God about, because he didn't know the Lord, was his need of salvation, his need of forgiveness, his need of hope, his need of salvation. Psalm 141 is a fascinating psalm. Verses 1 and 2 in Psalm 141, the psalmist writes this, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Now listen to this. May my prayer be counted as incense before you. The lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. It strikes me that this centurion, this Gentile who was not allowed to go to the temple in order to make sacrifices for his sin. This guy who had certainly a knowledge of scripture and an understanding of the Jewish religion and had a piety. He had a reverence of God and he, he paid special attention to the Jewish people in their need. Was literally going before God with his prayer, and his prayer was like an incense before the Lord. His prayer was like the evening sacrifice that he was not allowed to participate in at the temple. Verse 3, it says, About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius... And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed. I always love how the English minimizes this, you know. An angel shows up on the scene and everybody gets the idea that they were just shocked a little bit. Like, oh, where'd you come from? No, the word means terrified. Terrified. Think about this. This is a centurion. This is a man who's used to war. This is a man who's probably been in many battles. That's how he got to the point where he's able to lead a hundred men. And it says that he's terrified. Angels are not these cute little cherubs strumming on a harp on a cloud floating around. They are amazing creatures. And notice I say creatures. If you're studying Hebrews right now in K-groups, you understand Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. We don't lift up the angels over Christ himself. They are creatures. And what have they been sent to do? Minister to those who will inherit salvation. But they are awesome. Aren't they? Isn't it going to be cool? I can't wait to shake their feather or whatever you do. I don't know. (laughs) It's going to be great. I want to know who my guardian angel has been all these years. He's had a lot of work to do. Praise God. He's terrified. 
And he says to him, what is it, Lord? Now, you would think, well, is he talking to Jesus here? No, I think the word Lord can also be translated as a term of respect. What is it, sir? What is it, sir? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. In other words, you've been noticed by God. He understands your heart. There's an indicator here because of your activity. And it's as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. You know, this is interesting. I never noticed this before. And I love studying the word of God. I love sharing with you what God is teaching me. But I think it's very significant here in terms of the timing of the angelic visitation. See, the ninth hour of the day, this is when he's praying, right? Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day. The ninth hour of the day is approximately 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's the time of the evening sacrifices that are taking place. Think about that. He's not allowed to go to the temple. He's not allowed to worship. He's not allowed to participate in the sacrifices that the Jewish people would have been participating in. But at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, at this particular time period, he is praying. And I believe it's significant that the angel comes to him not only at that time, but says to him that your prayers have ascended to God as a memorial. Because there's an indication here that his prayer was being listened to and heard and God saw his heart. The second thing that's absolutely amazing to me is do we realize that at this time of day is when Jesus breathed his last? And do we understand that at this time of day when Jesus gave up his spirit, when he said it is finished, what happened? The veil was torn, indicating that we now have access directly into the Holy of Holies. Not because of our works, not because of anything we could do, but because of what Christ accomplished for us at the cross. It is at that moment that the angel sent by God comes to Cornelius. Luke chapter 23, verses 44 and following. Speak to this. It was now about the sixth hour, which is 12 o'clock noon. And darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, which is three o'clock In the afternoon, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now listen to this. I think this is significant. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Isn't it fascinating that at the very moment that the Lord gave up his spirit, at the moment that the veil was torn, at the moment that the centurion who was at the cross saw what was going on, began to praise God, which means glorified God, which means that he was thinking correctly of God. That God, a period of time later, comes to another centurion at the very same hour through the visitation of the angel in order to begin the process of declaring to the Gentile people what Christ, the Lamb of God, had done for us at the cross. Folks, if that doesn't hit you this morning, I don't know what to tell you. 
Do we realize that we're a part of something? We're a part of it. This is the acts of the Lord Jesus Christ through the apostles and through the early church and the continuing of those acts even to this day through us. As we walk and as we follow God and as we experience God and as we surrender to the Lord, that God has chosen us in order to proclaim the gospel to all of those that we come in contact with. Maybe not necessarily with words, but certainly through the activity of our lives, through our hearts, through the peace that passeth all understanding, through the joy in the midst of difficulties, through God's love for one another. Mark speaks to this as well. Mark 15, 34 says, At the ninth hour, three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And just a few verses later, in verse 37, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God did this. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last and said, truly, this man was the son of God. Wow. You you think that this by accident that the angel came to him at that particular hour? I would suggest not. The second thing in the midst of this, and I think we better catch this one, that Cornelius was in need of salvation. Do we catch that? He's a pious guy. He's a reverent guy. He has an awesome respect. He's actually giving alms. He's actually doing good things. He's even praying. We would look at him and say, well, he's a great guy. And he is a great guy. But even great guys need Christ. Even people that spend a lot of time in prayer need Christ. Even people that give out of merciful hearts for those in need, need Christ. See, we're so prone to evaluate the health of an individual on the basis of what we see them doing on the exterior that we forget that God's the one that looks at the heart. Don't miss the fact that this guy in our context today may have been called a really religious man. Of course he's saved. Look what he does. But God knew his heart. And the Lord knew that he needed salvation, which is by Christ and Christ alone. Don't miss that. Verse 7 says, When the angel was speaking to him, had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Military guy. Isn't it great? He got the orders from the angels. Yes, sir. And he went to his servants and said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down to Joppa, probably about 35 miles south. You're going to go to that house. You're going to find that guy named Simon, Simon, who's also named Peter. And you're going to do everything you can to get him back here. We're on a mission. I love it. And so they go. Well, there's the devout petition of Cornelius, but there's also the divine preparation of Peter. This is one of the most unique things that has taken place, I think, in our study of Acts. It's one of the most interesting stories. Verse 9, on the next day as they were on their way and approaching, these are the men that are coming, the servants of Cornelius's. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. 
But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. Now, I don't know if you caught that or not, but I think that gives all of us kind of a little bit of a moment. He went up onto the housetop to pray, but he got hungry. (laughs) Anybody else ever had that happen? Huh? What else distracts you from prayer? Anything ever distract you from prayer? Huh? You, you, you have every intention to going and praying, but all of a sudden something happens. You go, oh, I got to do that first. And you go do that and you come back and, and then pray. It's all right. It's all right. Even our apostle Peter had that happen to him. Okay. God used it for his glory, for his honor. What happens? While they were making preparations, he evidently told him he was starving and they needed something to eat. And so they're going to do it. He falls into a trance. Verse 11, he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. I never had pork and I don't want it. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, obviously, the Lord is orchestrating this. We know that the angel has already been sent to Cornelius. We know the men are on the way. It's the next day. The Lord is absolutely sovereign over the timing of things, which I think is absolutely important to understand But understand that Peter, as an Orthodox Jew, had never eaten unclean food, nor had he spent time with Gentiles, which was also considered to be ceremonially unclean. It was an unclean thing to do. You don't do that. And the Lord is preparing Peter's heart for what he has already orchestrated and is in motion. The Lord's been working on him. We can see that by the very fact that he's living or staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. What do tanners do? They deal with dead corpses. That would have been ceremonially unclean. And yet Peter's staying there. There's already been connections in different ways with Gentiles. God has already been orchestrating. He's already working in Peter's heart concerning this. And now he gives him a vision and the sheet is lowered three different times. Take and kill and eat. Peter's response is, no way, I've never done that. I don't think it can be overstated the wall that Peter would have had concerning eating anything unclean or spending time with the Gentiles. This is a massive conflict for him. On the one hand, he has a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he loves with everything that's in him. And on the other hand, he's got this Levitical law. We can see it in Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus chapter 11. You can go back and read it. All the dietary restrictions. You can eat this, but you can't eat that. Very specific. And Peter would have been in a quandary about this. Put yourself in his shoes. On the one hand, he's saying a good thing. And oh, I've never eaten anything unceremonially uh, unclean. But on the other hand, he's saying no to his Lord. Doesn't that clash? Peter still needed to have a fuller perspective of the Lord's salvation plan. Not just for the Jewish people, but for all humanity. He needed his vision broadened. 
I like this quote out of one of the commentaries I was reading. Even though Peter's refusal was in the most polite terms, it was still wrong. Dr. Graham Scroggie wrote, you can say no and you can say Lord, but you cannot say no Lord. If he's truly our Lord, then we can only say yes to him and obey his commands. Beautiful picture. Well, there's the directed provision of God. Look at verse 17. While Peter was greatly perplexed in mind. Literally means he didn't know what to do. He was totally divided in his mind. Divided. He's perplexed. What does this mean? On the one hand, I'm saying no to the Lord. And on the other hand, I don't want to eat anything unclean and therefore offend the Lord and break the law. He's really got a problem here. While Peter was great, they're perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be. Behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate and calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. Are are we in any doubt that the Lord is orchestrating this? Do, Do we somehow doubt that in the midst of our lives that the Lord orchestrates every moment? Or that somehow the Lord fell off his throne and he, didn't, he was caught by surprise by something that surprised us or that we're disappointed by or we're upset by? or What is it that's happening in our lives that we somehow fail to believe and be persuaded that God is absolutely in control of it? I mean, the timing of this is remarkable. The men get there right after this vision has taken place and while Peter is perplexed about it, They arrive at the house. And verse 19 says, while Peter was reflecting on the vision. The word reflecting means pondering. He was in deep thought. He was absolutely engaged in prayer and, Lord, what what are you trying to say to me here? I can only imagine what was going through his mind. He was reflecting about this. He was pondering. He was in deep thought about this, this vision. The Lord gives him an answer through the Spirit of God. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Now understand, Peter doesn't know they're there. The men are at the gate, and they're asking for Peter, who's also called Simon. Uh, But Peter doesn't know that they're there. The Spirit lets him know that they're there. And the Spirit says to him very specifically, this is not an emotional feeling. This wasn't the pizza that he had last night. This this is God saying to him something profound. And literally what he says, behold, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings. The word misgivings here means without doubt or being divided. He was perplexed. He was divided in his mind. The spirit comes alongside of him and says, don't doubt. Don't be divided in your mind about this. I myself have sent them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God's grace, God's faithfulness, God's orchestration. The Lord is absolutely the one sovereignly in charge of every moment of this entire story. So Peter, in verse 21, goes down to the men and says, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? 
And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man. God-fearing man. He had a respect and awe for God. Well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. Was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. He took witnesses. He took witnesses. What are the barriers that we have in our own lives that we have set up, that we are perplexed, divided in our minds about concerning what God wants us to do. How as a Baptist congregation, primarily, Baptist church, maybe you don't come out of the Baptist tradition, so to speak. You may have come from another denomination. We are Southern Baptist. Do we have walls? Do we have barriers that we have set up for our own comfort. And God is in effect saying to us, tear down that barrier. Tear down that which is keeping you from following me. What about personally? What about personally? You can't relate to this individual. I don't want anything to do with that person because they make me feel uncomfortable. There's a wall there, and the Lord kindly and graciously is desiring to use each and every one of us to proclaim the gospel in such a way that even those who perhaps make us uncomfortable, he calls us to minister to, to serve. What is it that we've set up against the Lord? What is it that we're in a quandary about? And on the one hand, we say, well, we've never done this. That's not the way we're supposed to do it because it's just not traditional. It goes against everything we've been taught. It goes against everything that we're about. But in that very breath, maybe sincere of heart, we find ourselves doing what Peter did, saying no to the Lord. Wow. That's an interesting question, isn't it? Are we saying, yes, Lord? Do we know the Lord well enough? Do we know the word well enough that we understand when the Spirit of God, using the word of God, begins to direct our lives? Are we sensitive to the Spirit of God in the midst of just everyday, normal life, that when God begins to raise up opportunities for us that aren't according to our time agendas, they don't fit into our schedules, Perhaps they make us a little bit uncomfortable because of maybe the individual that the Lord is asking us to serve and minister to. But in the midst of it, we're willing. And we say, yes, Lord, rather than, no, Lord. I've got something better to do. What is it that God's doing in our lives? Folks, we're living in a day and age that's amazing. Right? The Houston pastors? I like what Rick Davison said. He said, maybe, we, maybe they ought to send their Bibles. <laughs> he said, well, our, 
our text was out of the Bible, so here you go. You want our notes? There, there they are. That'd be kind of fun. I thought about, man, if that ever happened to me, I think I'd invite them to church. So you can sit up front. I may spit a little bit, and you might have to, you know, watch out. But we want you to come, and you can listen to my sermons all day long. Praise God. And we're just going to teach right out of the Bible. And if you've got an issue with it, it's really not an issue with me. It's an issue with God. It's his word, not mine. Folks, we're living in a day and age where I think we've got to really get back to the, to the reality of things. God has chosen us. The angel could have shared with Peter or with uh, Cornelius what the gospel was, but he said, go send for Peter. Because we have the opportunity to share the gospel. It's our privilege. Our privilege. Are we walking in that? Is God transforming us to the point where we're listening to the Lord and we're saying, yes, Lord, in everything. And as the Lord leads, as he orchestrates, that in the midst of that, God's beginning to use us as vessels through which his life is revealed. And the good news of what Christ did for us and the sharing of our testimonies, which is unique to each and every one of us, is an opportunity to let people know about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment with me? What's the Lord doing in your life? What circumstances are you in that are perhaps perplexing to you? You're divided in your mind. You're not sure. Have you gone to the word of God? Have you asked the Holy Spirit of God to use the word of God in order to give you direction? And are you willing to patiently wait upon him to do just that? Are you saying, yes, Lord, is that your attitude? Even when you don't fully understand why God is asking you to do something, whatever the circumstances may be, your attitude, your heart in it is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Are there barriers, are there walls that we've established for our own comfort that maybe the Lord needs to tear down? The way that we've done things, you fill in the blank. Are we willing to say, Lord, we do need you every hour? Be our living water. Refresh us. Cleanse us. Purify us. For the good deeds that you have for us to walk in before the foundation of the earth. What's your vision? Would you stand with me and just take a moment before the Lord? If you need to come and pray with somebody, I want to encourage you to do that. If you need to kneel at the front... Come and do that. Come and take a moment to go before the Lord in prayer. Maybe this morning you're here and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're like Cornelius. You have a respect for God. You have an awe of God. You even do good things in terms of giving to the poor. But you're empty inside. As Cornelius prayed and specifically prayed, and I believe this context is clear, he prayed concerning his salvation. There was an emptiness that only Christ can fill. 
Maybe you're that way as well this morning. And you need Christ. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to receive the Lord for who he truly is. He's the Savior. Ask him for forgiveness of sin. Believe in him. You come this morning. Speak to somebody. Share your story. People here all through the congregation that would love to pray with you and just put their arm around you and encourage you, share their own testimony with you. Take a moment. Come before the Lord this morning. Are we as a people willing to say, yes, Lord, no matter the circumstance, no matter the cost, whether we understand it or not, doesn't matter. The Lord's in charge. We're here to follow him. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.